Yeah, it won't let me do the virtual, the virtual backgrounds. Background. No, it doesn't let me do it. That's too bad. No, they got a couple. They got some other ones here. There's like, uh, what's this one? Let me see if I can do another one. That's weird how it won't let me do that, though. I don't understand. You got like, um, oh, let me get out this of this one. settings here. There we go. Whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's classic. Well, that is cool. Uh, what other, do you have more backgrounds like that? Ones. Oh, I see. Uh, this is pretty funny. You can do like, like this. Yeah. Oh, nice place, dude. Yeah. Wow, I nice a, place. I had a pub for a while, like during like the COVID thing. I was doing like the pub. Oh, I like that. Are you in a hotel room? In the hotel room, yeah. That one's kind of cool. Actually, if I had, I usually have my camera off, but I usually will do this one for work, like meetings for work. I do. Do one like? Do they have anything like a like a garbage dump or like a? <laughs> oh, sure. Let me see. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Hold on. <laughs> or like like some sort of like totally just like ratted out house something just burnt burnt out and beat up or a log see. cabin that looks like shit or like uh, a crack like a crack house or something people oh, laying around a, on couches that's <laughs> a good one what about uh <laughs> or like you're out at sea like on a raft or something let me see That'd if be, i can add another one here Hold that would be awesome here. dude oh i should do i just i should just do the intro real quick <laughs> yes you got <laughs> That is so awesome, dude! <laughs> oh my god, that is classic. Would be, would be another one. There's even like, oh, there's even like a one of those things in a back, crane in the background. It's well, so funny. Hold on, like, I mean, do, do another one. Hold on. So do like, uh, you should do that for work. <laughs> Come, hey man, I need a, I need a raise, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good i love the trash dump. get all this here oh that's I mean, funny it, with my luck i'll like be oh be doing something and it'll be that that's so funny now now i'm wondering if that's where you if that's really your room right there okay. all right what are you drinking today i am drinking i went to bevmo because i wanted some more dark stars it seems to be the only place you can buy them so <clears throat> So I went and got some dark stars and yeah, I know it is, huh? Delicious. You ever, you ever been to Total Wine? Ah, uh, no, they complain too much. Huh? I'm kidding. Total Wine. Never oh, mind. But I got it. Gotcha. That's <sighs> no, like, I have, they have a, beer too, right? Oh yeah, man. They got a great selection of beer and good price. It's actually cheaper than Bevmo. Both of them are pretty close to me. Okay. Uh, welcome to Scatterbrain Podcast, episode one thirty-three. Coming quite along there, huh? 133. I was looking for an episode on the uh, the Mandela effect, and it was one we covered, I think it was episode, episode 68 as part of a banter. And I was looking for it. I think I had to search, keyword search or something to find it in, in the list of episodes. I was and... wondering which episode we were talking about. So that was a banter episode. Okay. Yeah, it was a banter episode. Episode 68, if I'm not mistaken. But I was scrolling through trying to find it in the list, and it's like, man, that's pretty far. It's almost a little more, that's barely more than halfway through where we're at now to now. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it a few times too. That was the main one, it was, but we've never actually done an episode on it. It's not really much to do. I mean, you know, there's only a few of them, really a couple dozen different weird things. Yeah, but... I mean, it, I think we just gave it a, a good discussion. Oh, it's not like you need yeah. a full episode, but we nah. just talking about some cool and interesting things. It is, it is kind of weird though, that so many people have this collective, like false memories. It's just kind of strange anyway. It is weird and you can get into simulation and all kinds of things, but it's definitely 
weird. Some of it is just suggestibility. And we talked about it very early in the episode about how memory can be influenced by even just like the way a question is, is framed, right? Uh, how fast were the cars going when they bumped into each other versus how fast were the cars going when they slammed into each other, right? Someone watching the same video tendency would be to actually rate it a little faster impact depending on the words that were used to pose the question. Over time, you could see how something like that would just fall into the, what you would think you quote unquote know. Any sort of wave will go like wherever you are, if you're going fast, the wave will go in front of you faster, right? Does that make sense? So you, yeah, yeah. You, so you add the speeds, but whereas light is the exact same speed, no matter how fast you're going. To me, that's a mind fuck. That's why if you go really, really super fast, you basically stop aging and wherever you go back to, it's like way in the future. That That's why though. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you sort of talked about it a little bit before as well about how they did that experiment with, I'm sure more than once, but where they flew these atomic clocks, you know, one was stationary on earth and one was in a plane Implement, supersonic yeah. for X amount of time. And there was actually a time difference. You know, the one yes. that was traveling fast was slower. I saw a show on PBS about that whole thing. It was, and uh, yeah, it was like a millionth of a second, but still there was the noticeable change noticeable difference that's the thing right that that's i mean these things are very the reason they use the atomic clocks is because they're very predictable and very consistent right so you can really use it yeah. so it is even even the you know minuscule fractions of a second it's still there something it's still, it's still an effect there. it's still there and they can repeat it and it does the same thing over and over so that's a fact that's what it does it's but it's 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 counterintuitive it really is it's very strange well, there's i think um, there's one there's one um, there's one cosmonaut i believe he's been in space longer than anybody and they calculated you know the amount of times he went around earth you know at that speed for the duration whatever months turned into years and um he is apparently he is uh officially scientifically provable that he's like some millionth of a second or something younger than everyone else on earth just because of that but he's got osteoporosis so he's actually one like, one millionth of a second. Yeah, no, I don't know. Well, no, they all those guys lose the bone density. Oh, that's right. Like a lot too. Like thirteen. Yeah, like yeah, it's a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, even with doing the exercise every day, it's you can't really. Yeah, there's. I don't think going to Mars even is really very feasible unless there's some sort of artificial gravity like some sort of spinning room or something that they have on the ship in the middle or something where you can go a certain amount of hours a day and just stay in that room where you feel like you're having gravity because it just spins and spins you know what i mean yeah or remember we talked about that uh, japan is doing that I, I forget it was a joint venture one of the universities or something they were talking about the three-pronged approach to facilitating sustained time and space by humans they were one of those things was that like a centrifuge that traveled i forget how fast it was but whatever it, we talked yeah. about that, I don't remember. It's, it, it, it's weird. Humans have to have that pressure on their body, you know? It's strange. Well, it's, it's like the opposite effect is with those fish that are very, you know, deep. Oh, yeah. You can grab them in nets. I mean, I've done it. I did it. I went on those, those boats where you can go out and they take it over the ocean and they go and they'll troll for stuff or they'll drop the Peterson grab down to the bottom of the ocean and pull up worms and all kinds of weird things from there. And sometimes you'd catch a, one of these deep, deep sea fish and they bring it up in the air bladder and in the body's like coming out the mouth and it's all like distended and looking fat because of the, you know, there's no pressure relative to what it's used to. Right. And that's probably why there's no, as far as I know, there's no like angler fish in museums because you bring them up and they're gone. 
you'd figure that you could. I mean, if you how, made how would you do it? Though? How would how would you do it? You'd have to bring it up super slow. Then, you yeah, kill it. Would. That's what like, it would be. Because those things are like down in the Challenger Deep, like Mariana's Trench, man. Those things are so much pressure under so much pressure. I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I don't, I've never seen like a an actual angler fish like on a show, like in a museum or something. No, you, I don't think no. I have. I've seen film or pictures of them. Right, they're dead. I mean, I've seen dead ones. You know, pictures of dead ones, but not living. Just pictures of dead. Well, no, but they're not on the surface, or they would have. They would have just you know the pressure coming up to like such less pressure. Pressure. Yeah, they just turn inside out. I don't think. I think you'd have to. You'd have to kill them down there and then bring yeah. them up. Bring them, oh, bring them up them. super, super slow so the pressure wouldn't explode. You know what I mean? You've seen, seen an them. actual, really? Yeah. If you just Google anglerfish, you'll see. I know, but those are those are photographs that are taken way down deep, dude. Dead on a beach? Oh, no. What? What? An anglerfish dead on a beach? Yeah. Never seen such a thing. I'm not, angel, not angelfish. Angler no, fish. anglerfish. All right. I'm looking at them. <laughs> I've only seen pictures of when they're way down there. Like when yeah, you'll wanna... see a lot of those that are alive and a lot of the artist's rendition and some ugly ass yep. pictures. Yeah, but scary no, shit. I mean, I'm looking, I'm, I'm seeing um, just in the first result. You know, that's interesting. I wonder yeah. how they didn't turn. Huh. Well, maybe they, they die down there and then they they wash around, right? And they just get carried by the tides and so just and so naturally, and so. Uh, they just naturally decompress or whatever. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Now, Sergey Korolev was the lead Soviet rocket engineer and spacecraft designer during the space race with, uh, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. He was only referred to as the chief designer. That's what they called him. Uh, and no one knew his name until after he died, actually. No one outside of the tight inner circle of, um, of, of the Soviet, you know, governmental structure or whatever you call it. Um, the chief designer. Yes, uh, he was... Um, well, he was born. Let's. What what time period are we talking about here? You, okay. You know? Okay. He was born in 1907, I believe, and he died in January of 1966. But that's the thing. That that whole thing's coming up. Um, his death and everything in the 50s and 60s. He was instrumental in in everything rocketry in the Soviet Union. Now he's regarded by many as the father of practical astronautics, dude. That's huge, because I mentioned the Nazi that was on our team. Who was his name was Werner von Braun, and uh, he had a whole team of guys that they brought over in Operation Paperclip, and that was to integrate all these Nazis into society and put them in different fields, mostly in the uh, astronautic field, you know, rocketry, engineering, things like that. And um, he's the one who got us, he got us to space. He was the the chief designer and and everything of the Apollo, and but we'll get into that after we talk about Sergey Korolev a little bit here. He um, was involved in the development of the R-7 rocket, uh, Sputnik 1 that we talked about last week, which launched the dog Laika, who died in space. Um, Sputnik 2, which also carried dogs. Now, I don't know if you know this. Sputnik 2 had dogs as well, two of them, but they also both died in space. Sputnik 3, however, had dogs named Belka and Strelka, and they were brought back from space alive, actually. And he also got the first human being into, uh, into space and launched into orbit. Yuri Gagarin. So this guy was instrumental in all this. Actually, he was the one, right? And he's the one who pushed the Soviet Union, the government, the um, the higher ups, you know, like uh, um, not Brezhnev yet, but it was Khrushchev. 
and you just push him. Khrushchev didn't want to do any of this. He thought this was all stupid. This, you know, going to space and stuff. It was like, yeah, he didn't want to hear it. But once he got, you know, he pushed and he prodded and he, and once he got the okay to do Sputnik, he sent it up. And when Khrushchev saw all of the adulation from around the world and how terrified it made the United States, dude, he was all in at that point. And then especially after Yuri Gagarin went to space and got back, the whole world, like his parades, he's going to all these different countries, parades and everything and uh, soaking it all in. And Khrushchev loved it because it's like, you know, that whole thing about, you know, we're going to, we're going to churn out rockets and missiles like sausages and we're going to swamp you. We're going to bury you is what he, he told someone, um, an ambassador from the U.S. You know, he's just completely puffed up and, and pompous and, and like all into his, his own blowhard shit, you know, but he was all in after that, but even though he didn't care about rocketry because he saw all the, the adulation worldwide from, from doing this. And that's when Kennedy saw this all happening and, and asked Werner Von Braun, what can we possibly do to get ahead of these guys? And that's when Werner Von Braun told Kennedy, realistically, we could go to the moon. And he's like, you know, we're going to do this before the end of the decade then. You know, a year later, he's assassinated. That's really what spurred it on, too, was in honor of him and his memory, we're going to fucking go to the moon. And so they just pushed it. And within, what, seven years, eight years, they're walking on the moon, which is incredible if you think about it, using analog and all that shit. Yeah. And- I mean, with, with I forget what it was exactly, but I think that the system they had had a storage capacity of like 128K or something like that, just like nothing. Minuscule. It was minuscule. Yeah, it was nothing. Um, it, it was it was so low. I mean, the memory and everything was so low that um, that's one of the reasons all those alarms were going off on the lander. The first, you know, Apollo Eleven. The first time they were trying to touch down on the on the moon, they had alarm twelve eleven is going on, alarm twelve thirteen, whatever it's going off, and it was because Buzz Aldrin had a second radar pointed up to um, the capsule that was orbiting the moon to, to bring him back, right? He wanted to keep track of that while the other one was pointed at the ground. And just that overloaded the computer system. It couldn't function anymore. And it was right about to shut off because it's like, you know, too many too many programs, too much processing. We're about to shut down, right? And then he realized that and switched the, uh, the radar off and then everything worked from there on. That's how fucking, how just weak all that stuff was. And they went to the moon with that stuff. Multiple times, twelve amazing. people. That's insane, dude. That's amazing. That's insane. But anyway, uh, back to uh, back to uh, Korolev here. Um, now he was trained as an aircraft designer. His greatest strengths proved to be in design and integration, organization, strategic planning. Uh, and now he was arrested way back in in Russia. Yeah. Oh, you know about, you he, know did about a, he did a lot of work when he was in in the prison, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. But well, but then he it was a false charge of he was a member, quote, member of an anti-Soviet counter-revolutionary organization. That was all bullshit. It was because his his rival, one of the other engineers, ratted him out and, and lied and said he was this and that, whatever. And, it, you know, anyone could tell anyone could tell the authorities that anybody, one of their neighbors, anybody was doing something like and they would just bam, arrest them. They didn't need any evidence at all. They'd just be gone. You know, so you could just piss anyone off and have, you know, have someone else, your rival, or whatever, just sent off as a counter-revolutionary dude. That's scary shit. And he was actually in um, one of their gulags. Oh, no, it was later reduced to saboteur of military technology. Oh, thanks. Now, he was imprisoned in 1938, and he was in prison for six years, dude. And he ended up doing a few months near the end there at, at Koyama labor camp, doing like hard labor. And it really fucked him up physically, apparently. Yeah. Well, yeah. During this time, during this time, what I read is he was working on designing and testing liquid fuel rocket boosters for aircraft when he was in prison. And then after he got, after he got out, after the war, World War II ended, he was working on some German missiles to increase their range. 
and he was one of the main people supervising the um German missiles no no yeah German. yes these were captured missiles that they were using oh those yeah yeah okay yeah. I, I was like I think you're thinking about Werner von Braun because you're saying everything that he did no 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 he he was the one that was like using the captured missiles and like basically improving on them oh that's what we did too same exact thing we had a bunch of, of those V2 rockets yeah bunch of yeah. them but we we had the guy who actually designed them, Werner von Braun. He was the one who actually made those things. So Korolev was was parasite, you know, parasiting off of Werner von Braun, and Werner von Braun was parasiting off of Goddard, the American, who was actually the true father of, of rocketry, you know, trial and error kind of stuff. Look him up. Uh, yeah, Goddard. Who is that? Uh, who? Jay Goddard. Something Jay Goddard. He was the first, he was like the one in the twenties and thirties in America. And um, all of those guys looked at all of his research, and he was the starting point of all this stuff. And um, Werner von Braun got a lot of his stuff from him. So did uh, Korolev, you know, and they perfected it. And that hypergolic, that hypergolic um, uh, fuel where they mix two different fuels and then it explodes, and that's what powers it. That was that was like the the big thing for getting off of the moon once we walked on the moon was that because you needed something that wouldn't fail and if you have a, a motor where you just combine two liquids and boom you have ignition and a lot of force that's what you're going to use because it's less things to fail right and so they you just have to perfect the mixture and everything that was the key and these guys were both instrumental in doing that and able to get rockets off the ground and into space oh it's interesting man you think about what they were doing and that was their they were they were leaving the planet going to some place we'd never been before right and then basically putting simply i mean it just seems nuts but yeah i mean we've said it before like bleeding edge of experience and bleeding edge of research right i mean living on the edge of experience now following his release he became a recognized rocket engine uh, designer and he was a key figure in the development of the soviet intercontinental ballistic missile program icbms he later directed the Soviet space program and was made a member of Soviet of the Soviet Academy of Sciences. Now he he oversaw the early successes of the Sputnik Vostok projects. Now that included the first human into orbit with Yuri Gagarin in April of '61. Now he, his unexpected death in 1966, though, totally fucked up their space program, dude. It really did. Um, the implementation of his plans for a Soviet crewed moon landing before us, before the United States in 1969, uh, just completely fell apart. It just, it, the N1 rocket that he was designing, he died before it was completely ready to go and everything. And his subordinate ended up taking over and he just didn't have the end. He just didn't have the uh, organizational skills that, that um, Korolev had. And all the N1 rockets that failed, they, those were their moon rockets. Every single one of them completely failed. One blew up. We all went like it's 90 seconds, I think, blew up in the atmosphere. Uh, and the next two blew up like on the launch pad. Dude, they complete failures. And they just scrapped it. They're done with it. So their moon moon rocket without Korolev didn't work at all. It just exploded. Whereas the United States, Apollo, totally worked. And still the biggest, the biggest rocket ever. I don't think the biggest one now has even been launched yet, has it? That still no, hasn't, it been, hasn't launched. been No, but Jesus has not. Christ. That's, yeah, that's going to be uh, next month, I think. I thought you said, yeah, September or something, right? Well, it got delayed. It got delayed. And now they're looking at November. Oh, God. Again. Wow. Yeah. For the Artemis, right? We're talking about Artemis one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. before before his death, he was officially identified only as uh, Glavin Constructor or the chief designer. And that was to protect him from possible assassination from the United States during the Cold War. <laughs> now, no, even not not. <laughs> Not unlikely, right? Yeah, I guess. But I mean, even people within the government, no one knew who he was. He was a mysterious figure in um, 
for the CIA, you know, and for, for even for people within Russia, they didn't know who he was. And he had, he apparently, he went from the gulag to having quite a bit of power within the Soviet hierarchy. Um, even some of the cosmonauts who worked with him were unaware of his last name. He only went by the name Chief Designer. Now, it was only following his death in 66 that his identity was revealed and he received an appropriate public recognition as the driving force behind the Soviet, you know, the Soviet achievements in space exploration, dude. So he was like the one. Without him, they had nothing. Isn't that insane? This guy was just yeah, super fucking genius. Now, he was aware of um, the orbital possibilities of rockets being designed, you know, the ICBMs. He he had brought up the um, he had brought up the fact uh, the idea of using the R7 or military rocket to launch a satellite into space to the Central Committee um, of the Communist Party in 54. But he was rejected. The Communist Party was uh, totally uninterested. Now, Korolev's Tiranov group filed exaggerated Soviet newspaper articles, which were referred by the United States press. This influenced American authorities to start satellite programs. Isn't that true? So this was so this is what we were talking about <laughs> last week, right? About how yeah, putting out essentially propaganda or yeah. and false then information the, or creating yeah. uncertainty. Yeah, but then that spurs the other guy to get ahead, and then they're ahead of you because you yeah. did that shit. Well, he did this intentionally to get to get it out there to like get interest going, and um, that influenced the American authorities to start air satellite programs. Announced in 1955, July of 55, by Eisenhower, the Eisenhower administration. So they're just doing this to each other. Now, while the U.S. government debated the idea of spending millions of dollars on this concept, you know, it's just a waste of money. That whole thing you hear it in every freaking generation. Uh, Korolev's group suggested the international prestige launching a satellite before us before the united states right and he sent another proposal attached with american newspaper articles that he helped generate you know about the u.s program uh on on 5th of august of 55 and then on the 8th of august the soviet leadership uh, approved it <laughs> they said okay yeah yeah we'll do it mm-hmm. and by and 57 just... he was he had launched Sputnik one yeah, exactly. Uh, the spirit of the Cold War competition was adequate to secure uh, approval for that project, and he knew it would be. He knew that's all it would take. Um, now, German specialists faced the same sort of problems in the United States as Korolev did at the USSR. The leadership wanted to give priority to uh, 100% Americans, and former SS officer Werner von Braun himself was pushed away from design work and that initially. I mean, he was pretty much doing nothing in Texas. Um, in like a military area with all the other Nazis for like 10 years, dude, doing nothing except working out their own, their own ideas. That's what they were doing. And they had one ready to go for when the American Americans only stuff completely failed, which it did. That was that failure on the launch pad. And then boom, there he is. There's Werner Ron Brown. He's got his rocket. Oh, but I have a rocket. And they're like, what, 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 what? And then they launch that and it works. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So yeah. that was that was his very first thing with the ICBM in '57, the R7 that you mentioned. Oh, going back to yeah, going back to yeah. um, Korolev, right? Yeah, yeah, going back. Sorry, going back to Korolev, and then I mean, so that was just two years after, essentially two years after it was approved, he was already there, and within that same year, he launched the first satellite, as we said, Sputnik One. Right. Uh, we talked about Sputnik Two, also in '57. I mean, it just was going January, March, you know, and those were the U.S., you know, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just look at the timeline. It's back and forth, back and forth. But he was there since the beginning. And he died, you said what, in 66? Yeah. No, we're not quite there yet, but a routine but, procedure. Um, yeah. It's during a routine procedure. It was totally unexpected. Yeah. So he's there. You know, you look at like a timeline 
of the space race. I mean, he's there during the very beginning, from the beginning. He was, yeah, he was the height. The height. He was basically the father, well, at least of the Soviet Union. Yeah, he was. He is the father of of astronautics. Absolutely. Um, you know, and unlike unlike Korolev, our guy Ron Brown, he had he had time. He had that ten year period to like popularize his thoughts and his ideas. You know, cosmonautics. He performed on television. You know, did like little spots like you know for his general concepts of space travel. All you know, and he he had these really good graphics. You know, provided by like he was on like some Disney show. Disney helped fund this like show, like an hour long show where he went, he went through all <laughs> of his pro he went through all of these projects of how we're going to go into space within the next ten years. I mean, he really pushed this whole concept to the American public. Um, and it worked against the speed of the rocket design work. Korolev's team won the space race in 57, though, because they didn't give, Americans did not really give Warren von Braun a, a chance till we just fucking blew it. And then he was there and had it all ready to go. You know, Korolev literally did it all on his own without public support, period. And he had to fight to get everything done within his own government. So you said they thought that he was crazy for it, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they, they thought it was a waste of time, waste of money, but it wasn't. What an interesting idea, right? That something's so new and that that reality doesn't exist yet to where this guy is a visionary. He's seen this. He's doing things no one's done, developing things no one's developed. And the powers that be, for lack of a better term, think it's a waste of time. Yet here we are, and you look now and imagine if someone could take control of or destroy or interfere with government agencies satellites that would be the ultimate power right if you could take someone's communication network down yeah that's or monitor scary, it that's kind of kind of a scary thought though you know so yeah um, visionary ahead of his time even you could even say in that regard yeah. seeing the importance of that yeah now the the satellite itself the um we talked about last week the simple polished sphere right it was uh, about the size of a beach ball had batteries, uh, had a transmitter, had four external communication antennas, you know, that bug looking thing. And the mission was successfully completed and, and launched into space in October 57 using a rocket that uh, had successfully launched only once before, dude. That's it. Once before. And wow. Korolev got it to go and, you know, got it approved and boom, second time has a satellite in space. That's really impressive to me. I mean, the fact that there wasn't so much trial and error and he had it so correct right off the bat it's it's crazy now well, he had all those years in prison to, to work on it and then he had I, dude i don't think he was i don't think he was so much working on i think you're thinking of Werner on braun because he was at hard labor he didn't really have time maybe yeah. he was working it out in his head but he wasn't like drafting shit dude oh that's what i read i don't know that i think you're talking about Werner on braun because because he had 10 years with his team basically in those in those bunkers in texas and they were literally like drafting it all all out and planning everything all out korolev was on his own in prison didn't get out to like what like 40 something and then when he got out oh we need you because he had all this education and all this knowledge about rocketry and he was already educated in a lot of this stuff that's why he's like he's like the man dude now, international response to the accomplishment was electrifying, like I was talking about, and political ramifications continued for decades. Now, Khrushchev, initially, he was bored with the idea of another, quote, Korolev rocket launch, like he, was, he thought it was stupid. But, of course, he was pleased with the success after the wide recognition and encouraged launch of a more sophisticated satellite less than a month later in time for the glorious 40th anniversary of the October Revolution in November. Isn't that nice? 
why they have the October Revolution in November. I don't know. But um, Korolev and close associate uh, Mitslav Kildashish wished to wished to up the ante of building a second larger satellite by proposing the idea of putting a dog on board, which uh, caught the interest of the Soviet Academy of Sciences. So they helped push it. And the Sputnik 2 spacecraft had six times the mass of the one, Sputnik 1, and it carried the dog Laika into payload. And um, it was designed from scratch within four weeks. That's insane, dude. Within four yeah, weeks. that is amazing. No time for testing or quality checks. That's nuts, dude. It was successfully launched on the 3rd of November, and Laika was placed into orbit. Now, of course, we know that there's no mechanism to bring the dog back. Well, and then actually, yeah. the lack of testing resulted in, you know, well, there's no way to bring her back and, and and heat exhaustion because the atmosphere and just cooked her. It kind of sucks. Now, the instrument laden Sputnik 3 spacecraft was launched um, in April of 58, but the satellite had a failure with the engine, which caused the satellite to fall back down to Earth in separate pieces. And then in May 58, Sputnik 3 was successfully launched into orbit. The tape recorder uh, that was to store the data failed after launch is what happened. As a result, the discovery uh, and mapping of the Van Allen radian belt, radio, radiation belts, that ended up being left to the United States Explorer 3 and Pioneer 3 satellites, dude, because I thought that, I thought their that systems the Explorer, failed. Explorer 1 was the Van Allen radiation belt. That was what I seem to recall. Uh, Explorer 3 and Pioneer 3. The, those satellites were the ones that detected Van Allen. But the thing is, the Sputnik 3 would have done it, except that their equipment on board failed, and so they didn't get the, the glory of being the ones to officially officially discover it. Doesn't that suck? Um, Sputnik, yeah, well, lots of shit sucks. Sputnik, <laughs> Sputnik, Sputnik, 3, Sputnik 3 left little doubt that the American government, uh, with the American about the Soviets pending ICBM capability. So they saw this shit coming with the Sputniks going up and everything, mm -hmm. that that really spurred things in motion. Because, okay, if they can launch these things into orbit, they can bomb us, and, and we don't have this, right? right we don't yeah. we don't have it ready to go anyway. Well, now, that's kind of where it started, right? That's where his work was started initially, was working on improving upon the German technology and the, the rocket's ballistics, and then went from there. Just like we were, but we had the actual German who made that shit yeah that was the that was the real like i think maybe if korolev lived and, and didn't die in 66 after that surgery i think even if he lived i think the united states probably would have still won because those n1 rockets you know they launched the first one i think like three years after korolev died and korolev was working on those they continued got them made and everything got them on the launch pad it was complete fuck ups you know so i think korolev was a, was kind of a little bit behind the united states anyway in that respect because when they were like putting the first woman into space the first spacewalk you know all that stuff and then racking up all these firsts right the united states was focused on this like metered out plan you know we're going to start with mercury then we're going to we're going to do the next thing and then we're going to end with apollo and then you know we're going to do it in stages we're going to take our time it's not that part's not a race the big race is getting people on the moon and getting them back. That's the big goal, right? So the Soviet Union, I think, were doing all these little steps in the meantime. And and without Korolev especially, there was just no way they were going to catch catch United States because the program was too far along, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read, um, and this is just from something I saw, it said that even before the Sputnik 1 launch, that he was focused on getting to the moon. Yep. And he came up with the idea of modifying the R7 rockets to carry things to the moon. Yep. And um, yeah, again, leveraging technology. We, like I said, all this stuff and even the things we're doing now, it's like standing on the backs of the 
predecessors, making it better, getting better. Right, right. Now, um, he also, there was, um, you know, like when they first photographed the backside of the moon and stuff, I, I believe um, they, they, Luna, let's see, Luna 2 successfully impacted the surface of the moon uh, in September of 59. And that was another first, you know, the first, first one to get on the moon. This was followed uh, a month later by the great success of Luna 3. It was launched only two years after Sputnik 1, dude, only two years and in October of 59, it was the first spacecraft ever to photograph the far side of the moon. So they were pretty shitty pictures. I've seen them. They're pretty grainy and, you know, but they're pictures. They're there. And that was uh, that was something that the people of the Earth had never seen before, uh, allegedly. Another another interesting fact about Luna 3 is that it was the first automated onboard film development and then conversion to radio signals. So they could actually get those images back over radio signals. Is that a fact? No shit. I was wondering when that started. Yeah, and it was also the first gravity assist slingshotting, returning to the space, returning to to Earth, using the uh, gravity effect. All Korolev. That's yes. insane, right? That's just insane. Um, now, Luna missions were intended to make a, a successful soft landing on the moon, but Korolev was unable to see uh, a success in this department. Luna 4 and 6 both missed. Luna 5 and 7 and Luna 8 all crashed on the moon. <laughs> um, it was not until after Korolev's death that the uh, Soviet Union successfully achieved that, you know, soft landing on the moon. That was Luna 9. And toward the latter part of Korolev's when life... When was that? I'm sorry. When was that that they did that? 1959. 59. But he died yeah. in 66, right? Yeah. Now, toward the latter part of Korolev's life, he had been working on projects for reaching Mars and Venus, dude, really? And even had mm. spacecraft ready to reach both. Isn't that crazy? Um, the U.S. was working towards reaching these planets, so it was a race to see who would be successful, obviously. Now, Korolev yeah, was, was instrumental in the Venera 1. Dude, that Venera one is crazy. Yeah. But that yeah. was the first flyby of Venus, actually. And which is the one that actually landed and took pictures. It lasted like only two hours or something because of the, the pressure and, and the heat. Um, Luna, uh, I don't know. No, uh, so Venera one was the first flyby. Six, they lost contact. Might be six. Um, then they had uh, Mariner two from the U.S. in 62. December 62 was the first successful flyby mission. No, <clears throat> Mars, uh, Mars one. That was uh, June 1963. Also Korolev. That's very interesting, man. It is. It's insane. Different. All the stuff he did, man. Yeah, it's crazy. So what was it? It was first, first ICBM. Then we had the first satellite. Then the first mammal. Then, then first um, pictures, pictures of the backside of the moon. Right. Then yep. uh, the first, first landing on the moon. No, that was after he died, though. 59 was the first hard landing on the moon hard landing two. but the soft landing yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is, i'm just yeah, saying okay. i'm just saying just in general that's a crash you know? landing. yeah okay yeah sure but but no one else had done it right and then the first you know <clears throat> conversion of film images to radio signals yep first another first first you know? human in space yes first human in space first animals and plants returned alive from space uh-huh that was first, in 60. first spacewalk yeah just amazing uh first woman in space yep that was in God, 63 Amazing. or four, dude. That, I mean, so that was like, let's see, 60, 70, 80. That was 20 years before the United States put the first woman into space. 
that kind of sucks, dude. That That's a little bit of a, a whatever, dude, why, you know. But that was part of the one-upmanship. They wanted to be the first for anything and everything, you know. And they claimed they had the first docking of two sh spacecraft in space in orbit around the Earth, but they never did. The um, United States actually were the ones to officially do that. Two, when two, was that? No, uh, two, not docking, but to rendezvous in space. So two craft, like, come together and fly with each other in space. And the United States were the first to do that. Oh, I, I don't remember when that was. I think that was 65, maybe 66. No, 65, I think. But, um, yeah, that was uh, Lovell, actually, Lovell, the guy from uh, Apollo 13, you know, the failed mission to the moon. Yeah. He was he was the one on that ship, too. Anyway, on one of those ships, I should say, the long-duration flight where he was up there for two weeks. It was the first time they were trying to see how long, like, people could stay in space for the moon flight and everything. Even though going to the moon back is one week, they put these two guys up there for two weeks in that little two-man capsule. Wearing nothing but diapers, dude. Can you imagine having yeah. to take a sh you know, for two weeks? You're sitting in the same position, dude, and you have to go. You, you just have to crap and go pee and everything just right there. Isn't that nuts? The first Dilkrug would... space flight, oh, sixty-two, August twelfth, nineteen sixty-two. The Vostok oh. three and four. No, I was talking about the Lovell mission, though. The, the two-week mission. Yeah. Oh, you know what? And they did the first three-man mission as well. Amazing. That's right. But they had to, it was in the same spacecraft, which was only made for two people. So they had to go up into space without wearing their spacesuits, dude. That's nuts. It's just so they could cram three people in there? Yeah. That's, and Korolev was against that's, that. But yeah, but yeah he, he was made to do that for prestige, you know. Another first, right? Because, yeah, that's that's so fucking funny, though. He had all of these, all these achievements. It's It's amazing. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Okay. So going back to the Vostok three and four. Yeah, that was, yeah, I said, as I said, August 12, 1962, it was the first dual crewed space, space flight. Mm. It was the first spacecraft to spacecraft radio contact and the first simultaneous flight of crewed spaceships, the two of them. So these were, that was when they were no, doing the that. They said that that was, they said that was one of the, the Soviet ones. Yes. Yeah, but that is that, was, that, that is that incredible. Was... That is incredibly disputed. the The official one, the one that that is completely documented, it really happened, was the United States. But the Soviets have always claimed that they were the first, and, and there's no proof of that whatsoever. But uh, nonetheless, yeah. there's still a lot of great accomplishments here. Am you know? Amazing ones, dude. Amazing. And so much ones. so, I mean, it was really interesting. But he, was, he has Korolev does have like a place of honor in a way. He was buried. He does now. Uh, yeah now right yeah i mean he was buried uh what was the place called that he was buried in like he was, the, he's the, buried in red square in the yeah, wall in the wall yeah i was trying to think of what the it's name crazy, of the wall man. was though the wall of uh of uh soviet heroes or something like that now so, but but during that time he couldn't right they couldn't talk yeah about no, well no at, right after he died everyone knew who he was but during his life no one knew who he was so he never like got any like personal, you know, gratification or rewards or anything. You know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. You know, because they were so afraid of him getting killed. And it's like, hey, you fuckers, you tried to kill me. What are you so worried about? You yes. Well, only because of what he was doing for the this, the prestige of the Soviet Union. You know. That's what it's about yeah. He said he was buried with state honors in the wall of the Kremlin. Right. Yeah. So he died. How? And he kind of touched upon it a little bit. How did he die? Uh, he was, I forget exactly. He was having some routine, routine operation. I think he was having a mass removed or something. And they thought it was just like a benign, um, you know, a benign mass. And um, I, I, I think he was bleeding. It was like during, uh, it was during 
um, some sort of holiday where there was no one available and the doctor who was doing the procedure, uh, I, I don't know if he panicked, but um, he was trying to call in someone else to help him because he was bleeding out and it was a bigger mass than they thought it was. It was the size of a fist and uh, and he just couldn't get the bleeding under control. And I think he had a cardiac arrest on the on the surgery table and they couldn't get other people in to help the surgeon, you know, do the surgery, you know, because there was just no one around. And uh, because of the lack of help and maybe the lack of experience of the doctor, I don't know. But yeah, he just bled to death and had it, not bled to death, but he was bleeding out and uh, had cardiac arrest on the table, I believe. You know, I imagine that his health was greatly impacted too by being in prison for so long. But he had organ damage. And yep. That's what's like that. specula speculated too, because he did have like a fucked up jaw, like his jaw did never aligned because someone broke his jaw in the gulag, you know, and so he was definitely tortured, beaten and, and shit, you know, it's, unfortunately, it's kind of what they did back then, you know, with the purges and, and uh, all the torture and, and, you know, God damn. What a great place. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, wouldn't you love, I'm so glad I, I must say that I was born where and what, where I live now. You know what I mean? As opposed to other places on earth. Some places are pretty scary, dude. We, yeah. we could have ended, we could have ended up in North Korea or something. Anyway, we're getting off track here. Scatterbrain. Um, he, uh, let's see, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking, I'm looking through this real quick. I wrote a whole bunch of shit here. Um, yeah, he was the one looking into the hypergolic fuel and everything. He perfected that. And one of his rivals actually, um, he was such a he was such an arrogant prick. And I think it was actually the guy who ratted out Korolev like 20 years prior. He initially had control of of the space program uh, because he was just an ass kisser and he was always like backstabbing Korolev. Korolev hated this guy, but he was so arrogant that he sat like on a chair basically basically next to the rocket that he helped design before its launch. And the, the type of fuel that he used was so corrosive and flammable that, um, and all of the engineers were afraid of this guy. And they thought, well, if the, if the chief designer is sitting here, we can sit here too, right? And so they sat there and the thing exploded on the launch pad, killing everybody. Dude, upwards of like 300 people died in that explosion wow. of that rocket. That's how Korolev got power. Because that guy just incinerated himself and his whole team. Isn't that crazy, dude? Wow. Yeah, that's just nuts. This <laughs> is, and that didn't come out. I don't think that came out till the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, nineteen ninety one or something, when all the all those records were found that that shit happened. That's just nuts. Now, Korolev was the capsule coordinator for when he launched Gagarin into space uh, in sixty one, I believe. He was a capsule coordinator, and he was able to talk to Gagarin um, while he was inside the capsule. So he was like he was like the main Capcom guy, um, and uh, he the first human in space and Earth. Orbit, orbited, orbit. The first human in space and Earth orbit returned to Earth with via parachute after ejecting at an altitude of seven kilometers or twenty-three thousand feet. That wasn't actually known till later either, because there's some sort of not law, but you know, like when you like when you do a challenge or something, you have to follow a certain set of rules, and to be considered the truly the first person to um, to go into space and land back on Earth from space. You have to actually land in your vehicle on the earth, whereas he ejected from his capsule and then parachuted the rest of the way because so they technicality. didn't. Technicality. So the technicality, you know, and it's like no one really pays attention to that technicality. He was the first person in space and he got back alive. That's all it counts, right? So, but yeah, yeah, the fact that he had to eject from the capsule so high up and then pull a parachute, you know, and that's how he got back to earth after being in space in a capsule. Dude, it's like, that's ballsy. That's, that's a lot of shit you got to do, you know? That's crazy. 
Yeah. And they, I mean, so he was, he was active in this for, you know, a couple decades, right? Let's say almost two decades before Corliff? he died. Yeah. But his technology, the Suez missions, all those things were riding on his technology as well. I think they're using the equipment of his design 50 years later. Right. That's yep. amazing. Now, now is it um, so good or because that was what they had and they didn't have anyone else that could improve upon it. What do you think? I think, I think the latter. Yeah. Definitely. Now that that whole um that whole Vostok thing, you know, with going into space and orbiting the Earth and everything. Now Gagarin was followed by uh, additional Vostok flights, and it and it culminated with eighty one orbits completed by Vostok five, and the launch of the Valentina Tereshkova as the first woman cosmonaut in space aboard the Vostok six, and he proposed uh, communication satellites, and the Vostok craft was a spinoff from the Zenit spy satellite, useful for uh, for photographic re reconnaissance. And Vostok 1 had its defense importance acknowledged by the uh, Soviet Union military, Soviet military. And he had planned to move forward with the Soyuz capsule. That's the one. The Soyuz is the one that they still use today. Yeah. And, craft, and that's able to dock with other craft in orbit and exchange crews. He was directed by Khrushchev to cheaply produce more firsts for the piloted program. Now, that's what I was talking about, what I think kind of bogged him down from the big goal of going to the moon. And then him dying didn't help anything, you know. So, uh, and he was reported to have resisted the idea um, as the Vostok was a one-man spacecraft and three-man Soyuz was several years away from being able to fly. And Khrushchev was not interested in technical excuses and let it be known that if Korolev uh, could not do it, he would give the work to his rival Vladimir Cholomny. And that was another one of his rivals. Now, the Russian space web, uh, web describes this demand by Khrushchev as only legend. And the challenge to Apollo says that the evidence that Khrushchev would have ordered these missions does not really actually survive any scrutiny, I guess. Interesting. What, right? is, what does that mean, survive scrutiny? Just say it doesn't hold up? It doesn't hold up. Now, cosmonaut uh, Alexei Leonov describes the authority Korolev commanded. Now, Alexei Leonov, he was the first uh, cosmonaut to walk in space. And he's a whole nother story, dude. He was walking in space. He was out there for many minutes. And they had film of him waving and everything. And then he starts coming back in. And, and um, what they found out after the Soviet Union fell through the records and everything was that um, he couldn't get back in the craft, dude, because they hadn't really... A lot of this stuff that the Soviets did, they just did it. They didn't test it. Yeah, the they didn't shit. test it. Yeah. That's nuts, dude. The United States tests everything to death before they do anything. But he was out there and his, his spacesuit ballooned up so big that he couldn't get back into the capsule. And so he's out in space panicking wondering what the fuck he could do and he had a little valve on the on the suit i guess and he slowly released the valve to to release any pressure release in the suit pressure yeah sense. but that was yeah but that was causing like you know that was causing him to be like pressure you don't want to be in the vacuum of space and so he was like apparently he was like pretty much on the thin line of death before he got it small enough to where he could like squeeze his legs in and the other cosmonaut like yanked him through and then they closed the hatch and that dude almost fucking died dude so, but that was some big first, you know, Khrushchev pushed the shit because he wanted these firsts and it almost, it did cost a bunch of lives, but that was one he, he almost really completely screwed up on. But that guy is actually an amazing, amazing artist. And I've seen some of his paintings. Um, the guy, the first guy, the guy who first walked in space, he's just an absolutely stunning artist. I couldn't believe it when I saw some of his stuff. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. I'm babbling here. Anyway, anything else?
No, man, I, I just like hearing about this, you know, and it's again to see where it's gone in a relatively short time. Right. I mean, it was <clears throat> right. early, early 1900s that combustion engines and, you know, right. automobiles became a thing, you know, cool. 100 years later, less than 100 years later, it was the Internet. And yep. in there, you know, much less than much before the Internet, things like humans hurtling into space. Right. Now we're talking about missions to Mars again. Uh, uh -huh. We launched, you know, we launched the Voyagers back in uh, 77 and they're still going. And you got the James Webb now. I mean, this is just when you start forward. thinking about it in a timeline. You start thinking about what they were doing a relatively short time ago with very little. It's amazing. Oh, like that's brute what I was... force. It's like brute force. It wasn't graceful. Brute force. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of it is just the general human competition with each other, you know, one up, one upsmanship and stuff like that uh, within governments, you know. So uh, that's what I was going to say, though. That, that guy, Leonard, the first guy in space, the uh, first spacewalker. Now, he was talking about the first time he met Korolev um, and the cosmonauts, between Korolev and the cosmonauts. He said, um, I, he said, I was looking out of the window when he arrived. Stepping out of a black ZI-110 limousine, he was taller than average. I could not see his face, but he had a short neck and a large head. He wore the collar of his dark blue overcoat turned up and the brim of his hat pulled down. Sit down, my little eagles, he said as he strode into the room where, he was, where they were waiting. He glanced down at a list of names and called on us in alphabetical order to introduce ourselves briefly and talk about our flying careers. Um, the Volshod was designed as an incremental improvement on the, on the Vostok to meet Khrushchev's goal. As a single capsule would be ineffective for proper travel to the moon, the vehicle needed to be able to hold more people. Khrushchev ordered Korolev to launch three people on the Voshod, Voshkod capsule quickly, as the United States had already completed a two-man mission, the Gemini mission. Um, Korolev accepted on the condition that more backing would be given to his N1 rocket program. That was the, the that was their moon rocket. Now, one of the difficulties in, in the design of the Voskhod was the need to land it via parachute. The three-person crew could not bail out on land by parachute and land on by parachute like, um, like they had been doing since the altitude would not be survivable. So the craft would need much, uh, much larger parachutes in order to land safely, you know, to bring the craft itself down. Early tests with the craft resulted in some failures uh, until use of a stronger fabric improved parachute reliability. Now the resulting Voskhod was a stripped down vehicle from which many, from which any excess weight had been removed. Although the backup uh, retrofire engine was added since the more powerful Voskhod rocket used to launch the craft would send it uh, to a higher orbit than the Vostok, eliminating the possibility of a natural decay of the orbit and re-entry in case of primary retro rocket failure. After one uncrewed test flight, the spacecraft carefully uh, carried a crew of three cosmonauts, Komarov, Yegorov, and Fakitostov, into space on the 12th of October of 64 and completed 16 orbits, dude. Now, this craft was designed to perform a soft landing, eliminating a need for the ejection system, but the crew was sent into orbit without spacesuits or a launch abort system. Dude, oh, God. what the fuck are they yeah. doing? And it, it, it worked that one time. It didn't work later. That one guy died. Now, um, the Americans planning a spacewalk with their Gemini program, the Soviets decided to trump them again by performing a spacewalk on the second Voskhod launch, after rapidly adding an airlock, 
So they just added it after the fact, the airlock. Mm. Oh my God. The Vostok 2 was launched uh, in March of 65 and Leonov performed the world's first spacewalk. And it almost ended in disaster as Leonov was just barely able to re-enter through the airlock and plans to further Voshkov missions were shelved. So they just gave up on that shit. Um, in the meantime, the change of Soviet leadership with the fall of Khrushchev meant that Korolev was back in favor and he was given charge of, of um, beating the U.S. landing of a man on the moon. So they ramped up that N1, that whole N1 thing. Um, Korolev's staff started to design the immense N1 rocket in 1961 using the NK-15 liquid fuel rocket engine. That's that liquid fuel you're talking about. He also was working on a design for the Soyuz spacecraft that was intended to carry crews to LEO and the moon, uh, low Earth orbit and the moon. Uh, as well, Korolev was designing the Luna series of vehicles that would soft land on the moon and make robotic missions to Mars and Venus. So yeah, all this shit, dude. Um, and then he died unexpectedly in 66 before he could see uh, his various plans brought to fruition. And a lot of those plans, except for Soyuz, really kind of failed, dude, without him. So let me ask you this then. Um, he clearly had a huge impact, right? And he was a, his accomplishments perceived or accurate, right? Because I mean, there, as we just we mentioned a little earlier, there were some uh, false falsifications or exaggerations that were published to sort of create that sense that Russia was ahead of where they were, you know, superior, superior to us. Right. Yeah. Clearly, you know, there probably would have been someone that would have done the same thing later. But how, how am I trying to, how do I phrase it? I'll edit we'll this part. How do you, how do you think, let me see, hold on, let me think of how to phrase it again real quick. Um, what am I getting at? Like, do you think, what was his, what was his contribution then to the buildup of the Cold War? I mean, because it was, do you think it would have happened anyways? Do you think it would have happened in a different way? Would there have been other people doing it that were ICBMs? ICBMs, dude. He had a huge contribution to the Cold War. The space race itself, but also the development of ICBMs. You could put nuclear weapons on those things. And then next thing you know, we both countries have those things fucking everywhere. But let's say that he didn't, he didn't do this. Let's say he died in the gulag. Or, you know, and they they would have done that anyway, but they wouldn't have been as advanced. It wouldn't have gone as quickly, you know. Um, okay, it would, have been, it would have been harder to do because he was that ahead of the curve. On, so you're setting up everybody. a whole new timeline. It's a whole new timeline. Whole new timeline. Yep. So and the same with the U.S. Down. Same yeah. with the U.S. So without, the I mean. Na- without the Nazis, man, it may have been decades, you know, decades ahead of you know, further into the future than what they already did. So both yeah, of especially those guys, without the, those the motivation, guys. especially without the motivation of of the competition, right? If right, if Korolev and his, you know, wasn't helping the Russians achieve these certain firsts, like maybe right. the U.S. program wouldn't have been with you know so aggressive or so, you know, right. And that's pressure. And that's what we're going to talk about. On the next episode, now we're going to go into talking about the SS officer, Werner von Braun, yeah, and his impact on NASA and us getting to the moon. Uh, I'll see you later. All right, man. Thanks for listening, everyone.